Father, we thank you that all your promises are faith. Uh, yes and amen, that you are faithful, God. In your holy name we pray, amen. We're going to take a quick break now, so go grab a cup of coffee, grab a cup of tea, and we'll be back here in a bit. Living and working together, um, and it meant that we'd be spending lots and lots of time together. And on this first day, I, when I first met him, to be honest, I thought it was a little bit rude, and he didn't seem very interested in talking to me at all, which I'm great, so why wouldn't he? <laughs> um, and apparently he thought I was going to be trouble, which 18-year-old me was perfect, so there was nothing there. Um, we, we tried to chat, it didn't really work, um, and then a few weeks later, every Saturday we'd take it in turns, uh, two of us would stay at the base where we all lived, and we'd clean and cook while everyone else had their day off. Uh, it's normally a pretty boring day, and I looked and I was rated on with Leo, and I was like, oh no. This is going to be the most awkward Saturday of my life. What are we going to do for the whole day? As you might have guessed, given that we're now engaged, it wasn't the worst Saturday ever. Um, but I, as, as, we, as I got to know him a bit better, um, I realized he was really funny because somehow cleaning an eight-bedroom house wasn't as bad. Um, and when I tripped over and cut open my toe, he was really helpful, which is kind and caring. I realized, actually, what we need to do is take a bit more time to get to know each other. I think there are times in most of our relationships where you have a realization about the other person, where you realize something that you hadn't noticed before. This passage that we're going to look at today is Moses having that moment with God, or Yahweh, as he calls himself. It's really worth taking some time to look at it, because it's one of the moments where God takes time to talk about himself and to share something of who he is with us and with Moses. The story so far has been that Yahweh is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Yes, there might be other gods out there, but why would we pay them any attention when our God is so good? But if you have been paying attention to the passage, you might realize that the second half comes with a bit of a twist. So let's take a look. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. That's where we've got to so far. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. What on earth? earth. The passage starts by echoing what's gone on before. He's loving, he's faithful, he forgives, he doesn't excuse the guilty, that's justice, right? But it's really easy to forget all of that when you just read, and he lays the sins of the parents on the children and the grandchildren. That doesn't sound like the same person. What, like, what's going on here? It offends our own sense of justice and it shocks us. And you know what? That's good. God shouldn't always just do exactly what we expect him to or what we want him to. It's good when we take a look at God's character again because if Yahweh just looks like a really good version of me, then I'm missing something big. And as with all relationships, we can't just pick up and run away as soon as something happens that we don't quite like. And yeah, you'll be glad to hear that all is not as it seems. So let's take a look. What can we learn about Yahweh's character here? 
I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. It's not saying that God punishes us for what our parents and grandparents did. He's not going to punish me for the time my granddad didn't buy his train ticket. It's a true story. Or you punish your niece and nephew for the time that your brother pulled your hair. We read the Bible as a whole in context. We look at the bigger picture and what we know of Yahweh's character throughout the text. So let's take a look at what we can see from other places. There's a passage in Deuteronomy which quotes the same, um, talks about the same part and it's by the same author. And it says, parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. Now, there's a whole other conversation to be had here about people being put to death that we're not going to do today. But it's quite clear, parents aren't to be punished for the sins of their children, and children aren't to be punished for their parents. And then Jeremiah, who comes a bit later on, quotes this passage again. And he adds his own interpretation to it, and at the end he says... You, meaning Yahweh, reward each person according to their conduct and as their deeds deserve. It wouldn't really be rewarding each person according to what they do if you start punishing people for what other people have done. So if that's not what it's about, what does it mean? It means that what we do echoes down the generations. What our parents and our grandparents done does have an impact on us. Um, at the weekend, I found a great book, which is called The Book You Wish Your Parents Had Read and Your Children Will Be Glad That You Did. Partly, I just like the photo of the author, which is why that's bigger <laughs> than the actual book itself. <laughs> She's got a lot going on. I, but I found it when I was in a bookshop with my mum and handed it to her as an idea of what she should read next. And she said it was too late for me. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but we do know that we pick up the traits of the people that brought us up, right? And the way they live, lived impacts on how we live our lives as well. We find ourselves saying and doing the things that they've done, celebrating things in the same way, cooking the same meals. We pick up on their good traits and their bad. And even if we think we're completely different from our parents, nothing like them at all, the way they live their lives impacts us. The times they lost their temper, the times they spent more time at work than with us. The times they turn to food, to alcohol, to another bad relationship. If our parents went all breaking bad and decided to open a drug den, it would have a pretty big impact on us, right? The sins of the parents impact on the children. But that's not the headline here. The point of this passage isn't that what families do can mess each other up. The headline is what we learn from the whole verse. It's this that it's Yahweh's character to set us free from sin. He's loving, forgiving, and just. And all this combines into a God who won't stop until we're free. He sees the impact our choices have on our lives and on the lives of those around us. And he doesn't just sit back and let us get on with it. He keeps calling us back to him, back to him again, and to be free from the sin that holds us captive. He won't stop until we're free. But what is it that he's calling us into freedom from? Well, the passage says, iniquity, we might have to skip a slide, yeah. Iniquity, rebellion, and sin. And if I'm honest, I had to do a bit of Googling to find out what on earth these words mean and how they're different, let alone what's going on with the Hebrew. Iniquity. 
it's an action that's inherently wrong, something that we wouldn't really question as being bad, like murder or breaking into an old person's home. Rebellion. It's much more about breaking a rule or a law. There's times where it can be good to rebel, but not when God, it's God who's infallible and loving, who's setting, who's setting the rules and what he wants us to be doing. And then sin, which is the most familiar to us, but also the most difficult to define. Essentially, it's missing the mark or uh, acting in rebellion against what God wants us to do. But where rebellion can be like a one-off thing, sin tends to be a more long-term thing. It's continually again and again choosing to reject God, to not live in submission to him. So let's take a look at the next bit. He doesn't excuse the guilty. Our God is a God of justice. He cares when one child causes harm to another or to themselves. It can feel uncomfortable or a bit out of place in today's world, but it isn't. Our society today calls out for, ju for justice. That's why we get so caught up in so many protests and movements, why we care when we see and hear things that don't seem right. That's why there's such an outcry about human trafficking, about poverty, about knife crime. And it angers God as well when he sees his children being told that the ways they are living that are hurting them and hurting those around them are okay. What father wouldn't be bothered? Of course, he doesn't excuse the guilty. In the same way a parent punishes their child who's done something they shouldn't, not out of malice, not out of vindictiveness, but love, to help us understand that there's a better way of living, that there's another way of doing things, to help us understand that what we do has consequences to help us stop making the same mistakes time and time again. He cares when we mess up because he knows that our lives could look so much better. And what makes Yahweh's character amazing is that he notices all of these things that we do. He's a just God who cares about all of those things. And yet, he lavishes unfailing love on us. In the Hebrew, this verse is written poetically with the first sentence balancing out the last. The love to a thousand generations is written in harmony with the um, laying sin to the third and fourth generations. They're positioned to balance each other out. And they're used to demonstrate that, yes, Yahweh seeks justice, but his loving nature far outweighs this. The desire for justice is weighted to the third and the fourth but the unfailing love is to the thousands. Yahweh is giving us a more complete understanding of his character. Yes, he cares about sin. Yes, he's just. But his love outweighs that a thousand times, and he'll forgive us again and again and again. We might think we understand God's love, and yet no matter how often we come back to it, there's always more to learn. The more normal and mundane it becomes, the more we need to keep coming back to it. Because it is mind-blowing that Creator God, who knows all of us, our good and our bad, still chooses to love us. Because He is loving, He chooses to lavish unfailing love on us. The Hebrew word is, uh, N it's spelled N-T-S-R. I have no idea how we're meant to say that. <laughs> But it's, we've translated that to lavish unfailing. In the Hebrew, it means to protect or to guard. 
God doesn't just love us. He actively protects and guards his love for us. He chooses us and then he chooses us and then he actively keeps on choosing to love us and to guard his love for us. It's this unfailing, steadfast, guarding love combined with his understanding and of sin that means that he won't stop until we're free from the sin that keeps us captive. It reminds me of my relationship with a friend I had a while back. We, I, I really couldn't understand her as seems to be the theme of my friendships and relationships in this talk <laughs> I didn't understand why she uh, did the things she did and acted the way she did and found her quite frustrating and then obviously everything we did we were paired together we were put on the route of the same activities we had to be in the same groups whenever we had to share a room we were together and I found it really hard to keep having compassion for her to keep having understanding to keep having patience and show love when it was the last thing I wanted to be doing we've all had some experiences where we've had to try and show love when we don't want to anymore choosing to love and to keep on loving in family relationships but our best understanding of this is just a broken glimpse of what God's love is like because he, his love never wavers and he doesn't do it reluctantly. He's not being forced or doing it out of uh, an idea of trying to be good and do the right thing. He keeps his love for us. He guards it for us. He lavishes it on us. And there's more. Because this passage doesn't just say he extends his love to us. It says he extends it to thousands, to a thousand generations. And while he does love each of us individually and personally, that means he also loves so much wider than just us. He doesn't just love me. He doesn't just love you. He loves thousands. And that includes the people we find it really hard to love or the people that have done stuff that has harmed us. His love is bigger and wider than ours, bigger than our moral and political perspectives. It goes beyond all expectation and understanding. It's this unfailing, steadfast, guarding love, which means Yahweh won't give up until we're free from anything that holds us back from him. But what does this look like? Well, the passage says, I forgive. Forgiveness is how he sets us free from sin. It seems obvious, and yet it's so easy to forget. The Hebrew word for forgiving here is NASA, like the space station. It means to carry away. It's not just choosing to ignore or to overlook, but to take it far away from us. It's such an echo of Jesus, of his death and resurrection on the cross. And he, well, death on the cross and then his resurrection. Um, but it didn't start with him, because Yahweh's character is Jesus' character. It's the same. Yahweh is forgiving. He's not a tyrant king or a scheming politician. He doesn't take his lead from Game of Thrones. His forgiveness is part of his character, and his character doesn't change. Like his love, he's not doing it reluctantly. It's not out of obligation. It's not half-hearted, and he won't make you feel guilty about it the next time you have an argument with him. Yahweh isn't obliged to do anything, but he does stay true to who he is. And as we've seen, he's the God of compassion and mercy. His love is unfailing, and he's forgiving. David, the second king of Israel, who put together most of the Hebrew songbook, puts it well in a song that he writes that quotes this passage. He, Yahweh, 
made known his way to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. This forgiveness means that we're no longer tied to the habits that have held us back in the past or the habits that have held our family for generations. It gives us freedom to leave those things behind. And yet, we know that can be easier said than done. We know that leaving those behaviors and habits behind can be really hard because it feels like they've become part of who we are. And like the passage suggests, that can be linked to not being able to let go of things that have happened to us before, things that have happened in our family before, which is why it's so important that we don't try and do it alone, that we frame it all in the context of Yahweh's character and who he is. Because at the end of the day, this passage isn't about us at all. And it's not about us being perfect people. It's about him, the one God, the God above all others, the God who is compassionate and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, who lavishes unfailing love on us, who forgives iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but who doesn't let the guilty go unpunished. And this is God. Our God, who does all of this, isn't he worth trusting? Isn't he worth the effort and the uncomfortability and the change that this might mean to trust in him and to give these things over to him? The things that feel impossible to let go of and to leave behind on our own are never too big for him. And as we recognize them for what they are, as we bring them out of darkness into light and give them over to him, the things that have felt too big and too hard to challenge just pale into insignificance. Because when we look at his character rather than the things that have held us back, it changes our perspective on it. And it's Yahweh's character of unfailing, steadfast, guarding love, combined with his understanding of what sin can do to our lives, which means that he won't stop until we're free from the sin that holds us back, that holds us captive and holds us back from being in relationship with him. So we're going to take some time now. I'd encourage you to take some time to talk to him. For some of you, you might need to stop and understand just how much he loves you, how much he guards that love for you, how much he keeps coming after you. For others, it might be stopping and thinking about his forgiveness, what that means for you, for your life and how you view yourself or how you view people that have hurt you in the past. And for some of us, it means doing the work of taking those things that this passage mentions, the iniquity, the rebellion, the sin, the things that have held our family forever, taking them out of the darkness and bringing them before him into the light, trusting that his love and forgiveness is big enough to handle it, big enough to set us free. Whatever it is that that is coming to mind, take a moment to chat with God about it. And there's some post-it notes under your chairs. I really encourage you to write out a prayer that you can then take back with you into the rest of your week as a reminder. But let's not be too scared to trust God, offering it up to him, remembering who he is, that he's the God who won't stop until we're free. Go ahead.